What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 296 of Wheel Bearings, we drive new SUVs from Mazda, BMW, and Maserati, as well as the BMW i4 M50. We've got a uh, sort of semi-revival of Saab in the form of the Nev's Emily GT for sale. Uh, Toyota is the top brand traded in when people buy EVs. Are women more skeptical of buying EVs? Uh, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 that is not essential. And the end of the Chevy Bolt. All that and more coming up next. <laughs> This is episode 296 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin from True Car this week. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Ars Technica. Outstanding. Well, Mr. Baldwin, you want to go first? I will go first. Uh, so I recently drove the BMW XM. Um, typically what happens is you have these vehicles, they come out and before we are allowed to have for a week to do a proper, uh, you know, review, we do a thing called first drive where we show up somewhere, let us drive it for a day, maybe two. And then we write like our first impressions of the vehicle. And it's good. And, you know, it's kind of a nice way to get, uh, get to know the vehicle before it hits the market. So when people are sort of, you know, early adopters can, can figure out whether or not they want to buy this car. So what happened was the BMW XM had a first drive opportunity. I couldn't make it. I was, I don't remember why. Um, but what I could do. Well, it was, was the month of March like, when like 63,000 different vehicles were all being launched at the same, same time. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. So it might have been estimate. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it might have been that. So I couldn't make it to the event. But what I could do was fly to Arizona and pick up the vehicle from, from Phoenix and drive it all the way back to San Francisco. It's called a drive away for obvious reasons because I drove away. And uh, so I ended up doing this sort of long drive from from Phoenix to San Francisco, which is 700, I believe, 757 miles. So it's not, you know, it's 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 a lot. And uh, it's also a good reminder that uh, when people are like, well, I need a car 400 miles in case I road trip. Uh, I don't think you do because 400 miles is a really long time behind the wheel. <laughs> so I initially had planned to drive this thing over uh, one day. Um, but uh, I was really tired. And at one point, I slept in the back of the car. I pulled over to a uh, to a, to a rest stop. Where, I, I was going to say, where nap. did you pull over to take a nap? Because it's always my nervousness when I would take a long drive. Like, where should I randomly pull over and just pass out in the car for half an hour? See, but it's different for me versus like you. Yes. Because I'm a big, tall dude and you're not a big, tall dude. And not, I am, in fact, not a big, tall dude. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one. People don't. People typically do not hassle me, do not bother me uh, during my, my, my nap times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's, what's interesting about the XM is that it's an M car. It's a, a plug-in hybrid. It is 
essentially a competitor to the Lamborghini Urus. If you look at this thing, it's all sharp edges. It's very look at me. It's it's an Instagram car. It's a it's a go to the club and people see you when you get out of it. The 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 in, the ceiling inside the vehicle um, has like this, these polygon shapes. This sort of stick down, so it has this like this very textured uh, ceiling, and then it has these lights along the, the edge, the uh, these ambient lights, and so it sort of lights it up, and everything about this car is sort of like being seen. It's it's like the the equivalent of, um, I think I I, I called talked to it a little bit about how it's the equivalent of uh, it's the uh, the Vanderbilt house on Fifth Avenue, which is you know a really weird callback, but it's very much like the gilded age of cars right now. Mm-hmm. So you have these. Yeah, these vehicles are essentially built for the sake and because of technology, because we can make these vehicles now because of manufacturing and all tech that's available. Uh, you can't build these sort of like look at me vehicles that are also actually quite nice. This act, this this vehicle, um, you know, it's it's a it's a two row SUV. Um, it it is an M car, but it's also really comfortable. <laughs> uh, if you've ever done a long road trip in any sort of performance vehicle, you know, it's not the best idea. Um, especially as you get older, um, it's definitely like, like, you know, going cross country. Are you implying that their ride quality is sometimes less than ideal? It is less yeah. than ideal. Cause you have this really, you know, you have this tight ride quality, which is awesome for like, you know, I'm driving fast. I'm going to the mountains and then not so awesome for like, I'm sitting on the, on the freeway for four and a half hours at, at a pop and oh my God, oh, my back is killing me. <laughs> um, <gonna> die. <laughs> yeah. I, I drove cross country once in the two. 240z with my dad um, in the summer without oh, air conditioning Lord. um with a broken arm <laughs> and manual oh transmission God. rack and pinion steering i had my left arm was broken which was fine until i got in the parking lot so i couldn't turn up anyway so well, that uh, was a lot <laughs> yeah it was it was a thing um so but yeah so i drove you know one hundred sixty thousand dollars for the bmw xm it is real. it's 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 sort of it's almost kind of the best of both worlds. You can do those road trips. So if you're, you know, this is definitely an LA person car. You're going to, and, and LA people love going to Vegas, <laughs> love getting their, their, their dudes and going to Vegas. And they love, you know, that, you know, you go on that drive and the drive is kind of horrible because everyone loves going to Vegas from LA. But when you get there, you know, you still want to be seen. And when you're leaving, you still want to be seen. And this is the car to do that in because it's going to be comfortable on the road to Vegas. And it's also going to be, you know, if you want to do any sort of cool driving in the mountains around Vegas, you can do that. Or if you, again, if you just want to be seen with everyone in the vehicle comfortable, you can do that as well. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's and, not and just a, in case anybody forgets you're driving a BMW, especially <laughs> at night, it's got that little light pipe around the perimeter of the, the twin kidneys. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and the twin kidneys are um, actually smaller than you would anticipate. They're much smaller than you see on the uh, the IX. They're actually in uh, proportion to the vehicle, which is nice. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> we've seen a concept. <laughs> yeah, I think we've seen BMW just go like, you know what, we're going to make these kidneys as big as as big as possible. Um, and it's yeah, it's 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 a car that on it, you know, if I just sort of look at it, I'm like, oh, this isn't something that it it's not me. It's not my personality. You know, I, I, I just want to, you know, I, I want a small, fast, doesn't have to be crazy. You know, I just want, you know, I just like my little BRZ. Mm-hmm. If, if, it, if it disappeared <laughs> into the mean. background, I don't care. You know, a WRX, I don't care if it looks weird. I, you know, I like those cars. You know, Mazda Miata, it's a great little car. If You know, for me, if I 
don't put the top up or if I don't put the top down um, or up. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it's actually a really nice car, you know, he had heated and ventilated seats. Um, you know, the, the, the Urus is, starts at $235,000, which is far more expensive than, than this vehicle. Um, I think, you know, the, that design is, is a bit, you know, it's, it's probably, it's polarizing. That's um, one way to put that's it. Like the nicest way to say, like, not everyone's <laughs> gonna like this. <laughs> not everyone's, but the people who are gonna like it are going to like it. And I think yeah. that's 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 what it comes down. And you can nap in the back. <laughs> I think that you get the little, you got little pillows, little XM pillows. And so I'm I'm, I'm at a I'm at a rest stop in in uh in in Arizona. It's I don't know one billion degrees outside. Um, <laughs> I need to be concerned about uh, poisonous snakes and insects and scorpions. Um, also, yeah. the sign in, in Arizona says poisonous snakes and insects inhabit the, inhabit the area. And there's a picture of a scorpion and a snake. Scorpions are not insects, okay? They're, they're, <laughs> <let's> just, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> just to clarify. They are not technically uh, insects. So, so what is a scorpion if it's not an insect? It's, a, it's like a spider. Oh, okay. It's rather, like, an, an arachnid. Arachnid. Yeah, it's an arachnid family. Okay. Wasn't sure. That's eight. Eight legs, not six. Okay. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's not an insect. It is. Uh, I just was Googling, like, I'm not believing you. It is. Uh, <laughs> uh, scorpions are animals in the order Scorpiones under the class Arachnida, which makes them a distant cousin of spiders. Yeah. So you were perfectly accurate. Good job. Okay, continue. Is, well, I, I was, <laughs> was for Ars Technica, so I have to be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a nerdy site. They, they do a lot of science stuff, and I cannot like you know you can't phone that in. <laughs> you can't just let something like that lie. You gotta you gotta tell the audience, hey, <laughs> if you live in Arizona, you, know. <laughs> you need to talk to somebody. Um, it has thirty miles of range, um, uh, EV only range, uh, which of course immediately burned through that <laughs> um, while I was driving. But as you're driving, you know it'll it'll give you a mile or two of. Uh, of charge um, onto the battery. That way, when you you know you, you slam the accelerator down, you get that EV you know you get that EV bump before the motor catches up. Um, overall, no, I, I really <laughs> I know I I really like this car for especially for what it is. Um, if you uh, if your husband or your wife or your 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 partner buys one of these and you're just rolling your eyes at them, but you're like fine, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna enjoy the car. You, you know, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe they bought this giant, like, look at me car. But once <laughs> you get behind the wheel or you're a passenger, you're going to have a nice time. It's comfortable when it needs to be. It's sporty when it needs to be. There's plenty of room for, you know, human-sized adults. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's got a trunk. You can store your stuff in the back. And, and you can sleep in it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can take a nap. And you can totally take a nap. And, you know, this is this is only the second ever exclusive m car you know so there's no standard bmw variant of this you know the the original m1 was the first and then now this one you know so it's it's only an m product um that's all you get is is it's performance kind of kind of like the the polar opposite of what the the original m1 was yeah <laughs> it kind of is yes it's but it's 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 an m for this time because people yeah. love their suvs and they want to be able to take their friends or pretend like they're going to take their friends or pretend like they have friends i don't have any friends like how often do you really bring all those like i remember having suvs when the girls were little because you need to take everyone like air quotes everyone it was on rare occasion do we actually like 
put us all into one vehicle because we're always like, even when you're out with everybody, you're going a different direction afterwards. Like you want to like go to the thing together, but then you're going this way and I'm going that way. You don't want to stay together. So you need two cars anyway. The, the irony is that you need sort of a, an SUV or, or a large car, mostly when you're young, because like you're the only one with the car or you're the only one with a good car. Yes. That's, that's one of the things. Like we would go, yes. me and my friends. But, but we of were, course, when, when you're in that situation, you can't usually can't afford a hundred and sixty thousand. Can't afford a decent car. Yeah, yeah. So we we had my little Honda Civic, the, the sedan, the hatchback. So it had two doors. It didn't have four. And the three, uh, the three of us, me and my two friends, and possibly another person, would just drive for hours every every night. We drive to L.A. We drive to the beach. You know, we're from Tehachapi, so it's you know, it's 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 a it's a hike. It's like three hours each. You know, it's an hour and a half to two hours to L.A. It's three hours to the beach, and we would hop in that little car and drive there because they had Mustangs, and I yeah. <laughs> 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 one of them had like a 68 or a 69 Mustang. The other one had like a 67 Mustang and they were, they looked cool, but they, they were not, you know, we, yeah, we, we jumped in the, in the Honda Civic to do all those, those drives. Um, and now like the only time anyone is in my car is when I go to, if I pick somebody up from the BART station to go to band practice. <laughs> and even then you need room for your stuff for brand, little band practice. Don't you have a lot of stuff? But don't, don't, we have we have a we have a practice space that we rent, so we can just lock oh. all of our stuff in a in a oh, secure okay. building. But but um, even even if you needed room to haul your gear, you know, do you want this or do you want a Ford Transit Connect? Oh, you want the Ford Transit Connect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta have the Ford Transit Connect. But yeah, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, if I, I'm the singer and I play some guitar, I can put all my stuff in the BRC. <laughs> I don't play drums. <laughs> <laughs> it's only if you're a drummer. Is that all you need to worry about? <laughs> yeah, if you're a drummer, then you're like, or a bass player, you have a big bass cabinet. But if you're lucky, you can get the other bands. Like if you're playing to show, you get the other bands the back line, in which they bring the bass. Uh, so you try not to be the headliner. <laughs> you're like, oh, we'll open. <laughs> and then you don't have to bring as much gear. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, yeah, uh, BMW XM drove it, se- I'm sorry, 775 miles. Whew. Um, over two days because there was that was during the California rains and one of the roads kind of washed out. Uh, I had stopped to, to visit my, my uh, some family and I got alert on my phone that oh hey the, the route you're going there's a big something's happening and then I looked it up and I'm like you know I'm just gonna stay the night here so I just got up the next morning and drove home and it, it worked out fine but uh, yeah 775 miles is a is a long way. Um, every time you think about someone who's like, ah, we got to have 400 miles because in case they go on a road trip, I'm like, if you unless you road trip all the time, and and most people do not. Yeah, most people do not. It's it's a and you know the people who keep doing it, you know, more power to you. I love a good road trip, uh, but most people are just kind of cruising around town. I mean, even it's someplace like here in Michigan, you know, a lot of people, you know, have you know a cabin or a cottage or something, you know, up in northern Michigan. And, you know, they'll go up there on weekends you know, in the wintertime. They'll go up and, you know, go skiing or snowshoeing or ice fishing. And summertime, they take their jet skis and, and whatever. But still, I'm, I'm, if you're in the, the lower peninsula, which is most, you know, most of the people in Michigan, you're looking three, maybe four hours. It's like 250 miles tops. Yeah, it's not 700, 800 miles. That's nothing. Unless you're unless you're going up to the the upper peninsula, then it's a whole different story. Man, that's not but very far but those people aren't doing it every weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's a now and then thing. Yeah. Now and then. Now, now and, and then. then. On occasion. Yeah. On occasion. All right. Can you tell us. 
Um, okay. Well, I also had a BMW. Um, what? I, no, now yeah. I feel left out. I, I didn't, but go ahead, Sam. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I had, I had the i4 M50. Oh, um, that's good car. You know, I, I had, I had the i4 E drive 40 last fall, uh, when I needed to take a trip to Chicago. Um, and the M50, you know, is the higher performance version. The E drive 40 is rear drive has the same rear motor as this one, uh, with 335 horsepower, um, same battery and everything, but it's just, just a single motor. This one has two motors, one in the front, one in the back for a total of 536 horsepower, 586 pound feet of torque, uh, 81 kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, it can supposedly charge, um, at, up to 11 kilowatts on AC. Um, although I tried it here at home with two different chargers, two different 9.6 kilowatt chargers, um, which previously with other vehicles have always been able to handle the full 9.6 kilowatts. Um, but I never got it over nine kilowatts, which is, is not a big deal. I mean, you can still you know do a full charge on it overnight, but you know it came up slightly short of what it should have been able to do. I, I would I would have expected, you know, like with the the Hyundai's and Kia's on the eGMP platform, you know, they get they've always gotten the full 9.6, you know, and they're capable of 11 just like this. Um and when I took this one to the EA station, um I was there, you know, it was uh there was one other vehicle there and it wasn't on the same pair of chargers cuz they're they're now uh, sharing power 350 kilowatts between two chargers. So I made sure to plug it, plug into one of the others. Uh, so we weren't sharing, or at least we shouldn't have been sharing power. And it only got up to 140 kilowatts. Um, even though it should be capable, you know, it's capable of 190 or I think 190 on the I4. Um, so relatively minor issue, you know, not, not a huge problem. Uh, but overall, driving this thing, love driving this car. Um, it is really a pleasure to drive. Um, you know, even as as an M50, um, this one, the one I had, had the optional 20-inch wheels. The standard wheels are, are um, 19s. Um, with on the 20s, uh, it was still quite comfortable. I did make sure to, um, you know, be very careful to evade uh, as many potholes as possible. Because uh, I did not want to have my third blowout in you know in six months, um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I I did manage to avoid that. Um, you know, the I like the overall shape of this car. You know, the, it's this is the the Grand Coupe. It's it's the same body shell as the Four Series Grand Coupe, uh, but slightly different um, fascia. You know, with most of the grill blocked off because it's an EV. Um, so there are, you know a couple of downsides to sharing that platform with the four series um you do get a full transmission tunnel um even though there is no transmission uh so you've got this lump uh in the middle of you know in the middle of the back seat so if you wanted to try to carry a third person in the back seat um you know they would they would be straddling the the transmission tunnel it has um, that many friends to be honest that's uh, i know again we were talking and, about that no and, one has and, all these and, friends and, and, and really you know even if you're taking another you know other people it's probably going to be like another couple you're probably not going to have three people in the back seat and unless you're unless your friends are really slim 
you probably don't want three people in the back seat. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. They're, they're not going to be comfortable, even if there was no transmission tunnel there. Um, the the other downside, you know, is you know this has you know kind of the classic BMW proportions, long hood, the cab kind of set back when you look at it in profile, and despite that, there's no front trunk, even though you have this fairly large volume, you know, ahead of the 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 bulkhead, um, and you know this is a BMW's design design decision, you know, they said, no, nope, yeah, people don't really need the frunk. Uh, so, you know, if that's if that's a deal breaker for you, you know, why, you might do, you, wanna... why do you think because there's a few I want to say Subaru doesn't have a frunk in there. I forgot what the heck it's called. Why? Why no frunk? Like, why would do you think people really don't want to use a frunk? So in the, in the case of the weird in the case of the Subaru Solterra and the B, Toyota BZ4X, and this also applies to the Chevy Bolt and, and a few others. Um, that are designed primarily as, you know, when, when they're in two-wheel drive form, they're front-wheel drive. And what they've done in the case of those vehicles is they've stacked all the power electronics, the inverter and everything above the motor um, in the front. So all that stuff is in the front. So there's actually, you know, not that much room for a frunk there. I mean, you could okay. you could repackage it and put that stuff somewhere else, but but they decided to do that and maximize the rear cargo area. In this case here, that's not really the case. They haven't done that, you know. And if you look, if you look in the uh, in the i4 M50 or the the E Drive 40, the front the rear drive version, you know, you can you can open you can open up the plastic cover that's under the hood, and there's a lot of space there. I mean, they could easily fit, you know, three maybe four cubic feet of of front space in there. You know, they say that you know for the the all wheel drive, you know, they're using up that space, and certainly they're using up some of that space, but it's not all of that space. You know, most of the electronics and everything are actually packaged in the rear by the rear motor. So, you know, it's it's a decision that BMW made. It's one less thing they have to deal with. That's fine. Um, you know, I would suggest um, that custom, you know potential buyers don't necessarily focus on that. Drive the car. See if you like the car. If you do, I think you can probably live without the frunk. Um, there's quite a bit of rear cargo space. Now I um, must have a frunk. Yeah. And, you know, it's a hatchback, uh, you know, sport back design. So there's easy access in the back. There's plenty of room back there for all your stuff. Um, at least, you know, all the stuff that you might potentially need, you know, for a getaway for four people, um, you know, you can fit back there and your groceries and everything. All that stuff will easily fit in the back. Um, the one that I had uh, was finished in the optional um, frozen Portimao blue paint, which is a fantastic mm. color. That's the, the BMW's frozen colors are the, that's their matte finishes. Um, it's not an inexpensive paint option. Um, How much does it add? Three thousand six hundred dollars. Three? Would you pay three thousand six hundred dollars for it? Is it that good? If you had three three thousand six hundred dollars to blow on paint. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, it looks great. I love the way it looks, but I, if I was spending my money, I probably wouldn't. Um, Three thousand. Where did all that money go to for that paint? Because you can get paint from other people for less. <laughs> well, it, doing the, doing the matte finishes is, is, is more complicated. All right, so, it has a matte finish, so that adds yeah. like two hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you can get the same color the port of blue in a standard gloss metallic finish mm-hmm. um you know and it's like it's for, i think it's like a four or five hundred dollar option uh, uh, oh but, it's the matte 
Yeah. You so the frozen, the frozen it, the, yeah. Buffing it out. Yeah. Debuffing it. Yeah. So this is the matte finish. So it 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 looks great. Um, but uh, but it's it's pricey. So you know, the one I had was had the optional high performance package. So it had you know high performance summer tires on there, um, 20 inch wheels. Um, you know, it also had uh, a bunch of other options. The um, the i4 M50 starts at sixty five nine nine hundred, so sixty six thousand um, dollars. With all the assorted options, um, it came to a grand total of eighty two thousand eight hundred and twenty dollars. Um, you want to guess on destination charge? I'll let you go first, Nicole. Fourteen ninety five. Ooh. Hmm. One dollar. <sighs> $1 wins it. It was 995 bucks. Oh, so, I was way over. You know, come, coming from Germany. It's funny. You know, a lot of these cars are built overseas. Um, you know, they, uh, they tend to have lower destination charges for some reason. Yeah, I always want to do it in my head. I want it to be, but no, you're right. Some yeah. of the ones that are here are outrageous. And the ones, like you said that that's under a grand. So, so if you, if you forego the high performance package with the 20 inch wheels, um, you'll get a range of about 270 miles, I think. Um, if you get the 20 inch wheels, that drops to 227 miles. Although I was getting closer to about 245. So, you know, it depends on how much of that high performance you use on a constant basis. Um, but, you know, in most normal driving, you're going to get closer to somewhere between 240 and 250 uh, miles with this one. Um uh, one of the uh, other features on here that in the driver assistance pro package, um, you know, it doesn't have hands-free driving capability. It, it does a good job with lane centering, hands-on lane centering. So, you know, it's, you know, kind of like what you would get with um, uh, t- uh, the uh, Tesla autopilot. Uh, so it's a hands-on and it does have um, the driver monitor system, driver monitor camera and capacitive sensors in the steering wheel. So if you're just kind of holding the steering wheel lightly, even if you take your your hands off the wheel for a bit, you know, um, when it starts to alert you, all you have to do is just touch the side of the wheel and it'll say, oh, okay, you're good. Um, and it does a really good job of tracking, you know, so they, they could conceivably upgrade this to a hands-free system uh, if they wanted to. And who knows, they might do that at some point. Um, and part of this uh, package, uh, you also get... Um, autom- or lane changing, automatic lane changing on demand. So even though it's not a hands-free system, you tap the turn signal stock in whichever direction you want to go, and the sensors will look to see if they're, if it's clear in the adjacent lane. And if it is, it will do the steering and execute the lane change for you. So it actually does quite well with that. Um, overall, though, if I was spending my money on an i4, having now driven both the eDrive 40 and the M50, I would actually probably go for the the E Drive Forty, the rear drive version, because even oh. with three hundred and thirty five horsepower, you know, you still have lots of torque. You know, yes, this one is quicker, and <laughs> you will notice the difference. But it's that's not to say that the the rear drive one is slow, not by any stretch of the imagination, and it's surprisingly efficient. You can get over three hundred miles on a charge with the E Drive Forty. And you're still going to have pretty much just as much fun with that one as you would with this one. So it's 90% of the fun for less money. Yeah. You know, you can get that. Um, <laughs> the E-Drive 40 uh, starts at uh, 57,000. 
you know, so nicely equipped, you can get that, you know, in the, in the mid sixties, you know, so basically almost 20 grand less than this. Um, and, and you'll have a little more range and you'll, you'll still have plenty of fun. So just something to consider if you, if you like the, uh, the I4, uh, and I do like this car. I like it a lot. It's, I like the size of it. It's, it's a good size. Um, you know, it's not as, not as massive as something like an I7. Um, there is a, an I5 coming later this year. Uh, but, uh, but I, this, this would be the size I think I would want. Um, it's a really nice car. Yeah, I was, it is. I was really surprised when I went to Germany for the first drive for it. Like they had the like BMW put up the i3, talked about modular, you know, factory, you know, modular manufacturing and then nothing for a few years. And you're just like, all right, fine. And then they had the i4 and we went over to Germany to drive it. And you're like, I'm sure it'll be nice. And you're like, oh, this is very good. <laughs> uh, so um, I also had the chance to spend a day with another car. Because uh, I had to take a quick trip out to Los Angeles to do uh, um, record a, a panel on autonomous vehicles for uh, for a company, um, and while I was there, Maserati was nice enough to loan me uh, a Gricali Modena, um, which is Ooh, their new. Um, that? That's their new midsize, mid smaller midsize um, two row crossover uh, that launched late last year. Um, the Gricali is based on Stellantis's Giorgio platform, which, uh, for those that recall, is the same platform that underpins the uh, Alfa Romeo, Stelvio, and Giulia. Um, so it's an excellent platform. Um, the Gricali is about six inches longer than the um, Alfa, uh, the Stelvio, uh, so it's a little, little bit bigger. Um, and when you get in it, you will notice some familiar things and some, some new stuff. Like for example, <laughs> um, the steering wheel, you know, even though it has the Trident badge in the middle there, it also has the engine stop start button um, under on the underneath the left-hand steering wheel spoke. Uh, and then the driver mode uh, switch is underneath the right-hand side. So it's in the, in the steering wheel. Um, so, you know, that's the same layout that you have on the, the Stelvio and the Julia, which works fine. What, once you get used to it, you know, they're they're the only other cars that I that I'm aware of that have the engine stop start button on the steering wheel like that. Everything else, you know, it's usually on the console or on the dashboard. And so every time I get in the car, for the you know, I have to remember. Oh yeah, it's over here on my left on the on the steering wheel to to start the thing. Um, but that's you know that's not a complaint. It's just something that you know you'll get accustomed to pretty quickly if you if you get one of these. Um, there. Even though you know this is based on the same chassis as the Stelvio, it does the, the it does have a different feel to it. You know, um, certainly you know Maserati is known for performance, but it's also more luxury. You know, it 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 feels more premium, more luxurious than the Alfa Romeo does, and in turn, it also feels say a little bit softer. You know, it's it's a little you know certainly less hardcore than. Um, than the Stelvio Quadrifoglio. Um, and the Gricali comes in three different trim levels. Um, the, uh, the, the GT, uh, the Modena, and the Trofeo. The, the Trofeo has the same twin turbo uh, Natuno V6 that's in the new Gran Turismo and in the MC20. That's more Quadrifoglio style. You know, that's like up in the 500 horsepower range. 
Um, the uh, Modena and the GT use the, the two liter turbo that you'll also find in the base versions of the Stelvio and, and Julia and in a whole bunch of other Stellantis products uh, ranging from uh, Jeep to all, all kinds of other stuff. Um, very good engine. Um, you know, it's set up with a 48 volt mild hybrid system as standard. Um, in the GT, it's got 295 horsepower. In the Modena, it's got 325 horsepower. Um, it is a very fun car to drive. Um, you know, like I said, it does feel a little less hard edged than the Alpha. You know, the Alpha is definitely tuned more for you know that kind of performance feel. You know, this is more of a, at least in 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 both of these trims. You know, I haven't driven the uh, the Trofeo yet, but in these trims, it fe it feels a little softer. You know, the the responses are not quite as sharp as as an Alpha, uh, but it's still you know that's not to say that you know this thing wallows around. You know, so it has you know really nice ride quality. Um, I I picked it up from a, a parking garage near LAX and drove it up to Calabasas by way of Malibu um, and spent some, spent some quality time driving around in the canyons in that, in that area there and, and had a really enjoyable time with it. Um, you know, you, as you push it to its limits, you know, you can, you can certainly feel where its limits are, you know, and it's, this is not, you know, in the same vein as an MC 20 or even a Gran Turismo, but um, you know, if what you're looking for, you know, is kind of a mid-sized luxury two-row crossover um, that you know is something different. You know, it's like yeah, you know, BMWs and Mercedes and Audis and you know, uh, you know, Porsche Macans and and everything everywhere you look, um, and you want something that is a little more distinct. You know, that that's not those. That's not all those brands that everybody else has. Um, this is definitely something worth considering. Um, the, the Grucali, uh, GT starts at $65,000. The Modena starts at $75,000. Um, I, they, they didn't have, um, a, um, a Monroni for this one. So I went through the conf configurator and built it up as close as I can approximate to the, the one that I had. Um, and it came out to a grand total of $87,100. Um, I have no idea what the delivery charge is because they, they don't say on here. Um, but, oh, wait, here, uh, let's see. Yeah, no, they don't show the delivery charge on here. So I, I don't know what that would be. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking for something premium, but, you know, slightly different from the rest of the crowd, this is definitely something to, to take a look at. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, certainly I think the, the engine, the powertrain is going to, should be fairly reliable. That shouldn't be an issue with this, you know, as it might've been in the past with some other Maseratis. Uh, I, I can't necessarily say the same thing about the Trofeo with the, the, uh, the twin turbo V6, cause that's a relatively new engine. Uh, but you know, as part of Stellantis now, you know, they've, they've got Maserati's got a lot more resources now than they, than they had in, in back in the days of the bi-turbo in the eighties and early nineties, when they would regularly have thermal events. Um, <laughs> the, uh, 
the infotainment. That sounds like such a nice way of saying it. Just Regularly a thermal, a thermal event. event. Just a thermal event. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just a little thermal event. It's okay. Yeah. The the okay. the info the infotainment system in this one um, will be fairly familiar to anybody who's driven a, a many Stellantis vehicles of the last uh, few years. It's it's basically UConnect five. Uh, so it's uh, Android Automotive, but with TomTom um, Tom Maps and Alexa uh, for voice services. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got a little bit different skin on it for Maserati. So, you know, it looks a little different than it does, say, in a in a Jeep or um, in a Chrysler or a Dodge. Um, but it, it works fairly well. My only real complaint about the infotainment um, is there's basically everything there, there's two there's dual touch screens there's a, a 10 inch lower touch screen for climate controls and seats and things like that and then the 10 inch or 12 inch upper touch screen um for uh for the other stuff for the infotainment and maps um and uh you know so even things like the volume control on on the center stack is uh touch controls uh there are physical controls on the steering wheel um, so you can use that. Um, but you know, I prefer to have some, uh, some physical controls there on the center stack as well. Uh, but overall, you know, it was a great way to great, great vehicle to drive around for a couple of days. Cool. I would, I've never, have I driven a Maserati for a hot minute? I think about that's it. I would love to drive one for more than that. <laughs> well, hopefully in the not too distant future, I'll be getting my hands on an MC 20 and a Gran Turismo as well. Look at you, like all Maserati all the time. Is that your yeah. thing now? You're just yeah. going to forget yeah. these? Like, well, I mean, Mercedes doesn't brand. want to loan me cars. So, you know, oh. fine, I'll go with Maserati. You just skipped right by. You're like, fine, I'll just skip right by your Mercedes onto Maserati. Yeah. Maserati. You know, it's got it's got that Italian flair, you know, to, to the design and, you know, so and, and the interior and everything. I, I like it. I, I had fun with it. You know, they'll both give me cars. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right, Nicole, what did you drive? Um, this week I was in a car that I did a first drive of a few weeks back. I was in the Mazda CX 90, uh, which I really like. I like the Mazda CX 90. I'm I, and what, what don't I like? Cause just you guys, you disagree with me every time. Cause you think it's fine. I think it's not. I still don't like the rotary dial and tro- controller in the middle. I still don't like it. I want there to be a touch screen. It's um, weird. It's, the, it's I, I don't know. I wouldn't there, say I like it. There, there is a touch screen. <laughs> There, there is a touchscreen that it's, functions it's cut, when you plug in your phone. Yes, only if you're using Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So it then, which you know, you kind of want to say is better. You're like, well, it's halfway there, and I guess that's good. But then you get stuck in your your impulses. Like, I should be able to touch the screen all the time. You almost get thrown back and forth. Like, oh no, wait, 
I'm not an Apple CarPlay, I have to use a spinny dial. And when I am an Apple CarPlay, I can't, no wait. So I don't know if it actually makes it worse. Like I like that I could use a touch screen, but now my brain doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, and I did like that in other Mazdas that let you do that, the screen is still really set very far back on the dashboard. So it's awkward to reach the touch screen. This one, it's set closer to the to the edge. So when you reach it, it's actually not like you're stretching out to reach it. So you can see that the design took into consideration, okay, people are going to use this as a touchscreen for their smartphones. So let's make it actually usable for them as a touchscreen. Um, so I do like, like I'm thinking of it baby steps. One day, one day Mazda will get rid of that rotary dial controller and you will see fireworks and going off from my house and confetti and all sorts of stuff because I will be so very happy to never see it again for this one. Yes, they will sound just like that, Robbie. So um, that that's my my constant complaint with Mazdas. But otherwise, the CX-90, so this is going to replace the CX-9. It's their new three-row crossover. Um, and they really pushed, and I said this before, they really pushed the premium um, feel and look of this. Like, they're not a luxury brand. They're truly not a luxury brand, but they're so darn close, especially in the top trims of their vehicles. You could easily put this by a genuine luxury brand and think, okay, yeah, this can compete, but they're not quite so expensive. So they're like, I think of them now as like luxury light. They aren't quite full on luxury, but dang, are they close. Um, and the pricing sort of reflects that. The cheapest CX-90 you can get, the base price would be $39,595. If you go all the way to the most expensive one you can get, it's $59,950. So, you know, when you're getting up to $60,000, you're no longer in a cheap SUV. It's not outrageous, but it's not cheap, but you get so much in terms of what the interior looks like, the quality of the materials. It is so eye-catching. It absolutely looks beautiful. Although I have one, I don't have an actual Monroney, so I kind of just looking online to sort of figure out what I had and kind of sort of build it. And mine, the interior, it's absolutely the prettiest color, but it's just called, it's just white Napa leather. White is beautiful, but for the life of me, I do not understand why any human being would put white <laughs> on the interior of a three-row vehicle that will have children. I mean, to be honest, as a woman who is married, I don't it's know why any human gray being is what would it put is. white yeah. on an interior where they have a husband to, to go near it. Um, so yeah, it's like, that's true. It's we can't like, be trusted, to be honest. You cannot yeah. be trusted. And all of you guys who are like going to argue, you all know I'm telling the truth. And everyone's like, yes, she is. Perfect. So the white interior, which really white interiors are so pretty. They are, in fact, mine had a little schmutz on it. There's like some black grease that, came, that was oh. on the headliner, which I have not touched. I'm like, guys, there's a little black grease. I'm not even going near that. I'm and I'm literally looking and thinking, I don't know how they're going to get that out. I don't know. How, and it's like almost making me anxious. Like, how are they ever going to get that out? Everyone's going to get this. That's stained forever. That is like black grease. So oh. the white is a little bit of a tough thing. And on a car that's so pretty to have anything that's marred. Because when you own it, you know you're going to eat a cheeseburger or something and fumble the ketchup. And there's now red ketchup on your seat or mustard or whatever. So that's challenging. But it does look good. And the ones we drove out when we did the drive in um, – San Francisco, they had one that had like, it's not technically Alcantara. I think it's a different kind of microfiber that adorns the dashboard and everything. And it's absolutely gorgeous. So interior wise, this thing is beautiful. The ride is super quiet. I had the PHEV. You can get it with either a, it's like, you can get it with either a three point, like what is it? 3.3 liter turbo. I lost yeah, a, my it's thing. A, yeah, it's a twin turbo three, in yeah. six. Twin turbo inline six, or you can get it with the plug-in hybrid. And I have the plug-in hybrid. I believe I have the premium plus, which is the fanciest of the fancy pants. And it comes with, you can get this. There's a lot of configurations of this. 
six, seven, or eight passenger seating. The one I have is seven passenger seating. So it's two up front, captain seats in the middle, three seats in the back. Um, and I do like that. I mean, I don't think Robbie could sit back there. Robbie, you're always my, like, could Robbie sit there? Like, you know, what would Jesus do? Could Robbie sit there? Um, so what would Robbie do? Like, He'd probably what stay would home. Robbie do? Robbie would be like, no, I'm walking. I'll drive. Things. I'll drive yeah, myself. I'll drive. Yeah. I'll find another way home. Bye. So <laughs> I think it'd be tight for someone your height, but like, and more of an average height person, or like, if you have kids that are going to be in that third row, you're going to be okay. Uh, second row is very spacious. And with those captain's chairs, it's super comfortable. Uh, if you're just doing the two people up front and a couple in the back or a couple of, you know, like your, your kids or teenagers, they're going to think that it's fantastic because it's nice and roomy and it is fun to drive. So with the hybrid powertrain, you are getting uh 323 horsepower, 369 pound feet of torque. So it's not a slouch. I mean, this is a pretty big vehicle. It's not tiny, but when you hit the gas, it moves. You don't ever feel like it's holding back. You don't ever feel like it's, you know, you never get that sense of merging into highway traffic and thinking I should have let that truck go first because then I'm going to die. Like you have plenty of room to merge in front of other cars in the highway. And I feel like you have plenty of uh, power that once you're there, if you want to pass around slower vehicles, do some acceleration, you know, to get around traffic, that is easy to do. It also does it very quietly. Um, I feel like, you know, you want to hear the engine when you're driving a true sports car, sporty car, or something that's, you know, whether it's a tiny one or a big one, if it's a sporty car, it's all about performance. You want to hear it. Otherwise you don't really want to hear it. You know, you got three rows of seating. You want it to be relatively quiet for yourself, for the people that you have with you, for your kids to pass out on a road trip. And it is nice and quiet. Um, but it's still, even though being quiet and not having a noisy engine, which is a non-performancey thing, it still handles like a Mazda. Yes, it's three rows. Yes, it's big. It's not Sam's Miata, but it does handle like a Mazda. It's it's got good handling. It's crisp. It doesn't feel floaty in the corners. It you know we had some twisty turny roads to take when we had it on the drive. I took it out on into to the farmland that we have here in New Hampshire. There's all these narrow twisting roads. It was fantastic. It was really really fun to drive it. So if you're still looking for that kind of Mazda driving feel, that engagement, that kind of driver-centric experience, but you need to have something bigger. Uh, you want to have room for up to eight people, then the CX-90 does it, and it does it in a very premium way. Which exterior color did you have? I have white. It's just, uh, it's all white, white all white. the time. I know. <laughs> I was, I was like, yay, Mazda. I'm like, where's my, my soul crystal uh, uh, red? Uh, uh, what do they call it? It's artisan red. I guess artisan well, well, they, red. They, they, they also red. offer soul crystal red. So you they can did, get... but for reasons completely unknown to me, I have white, <laughs> just white. I mean, they're just white. It's a very lovely white. The interior is also very lovely white, but what I really want is my soul crystal red metallic. It is my favorite paint of all yeah. the paints. It's gorgeous. I like uh, it better than the artisan red. The artisan red is lovely. The artisan red is more of like a burgundy. more luxurious. Yeah. I just want like blammo bright red. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just looking through the, uh, the configurator on the Mazda site on the interior mm -hmm. page um, for the, the plug-in hybrid, you get two options. You, you get the, you, know, you can pick white or black Napa leather. Um, and then the other thing that they have listed on there is a pet seat protector for the second row. So oh, yeah, they've got it right, right there. So <laughs> you, you pick, you pick that white. You absolutely, if you have, if you have a dog, 
um, you definitely want to get the pet seat protector. You know? If you have a dog, if you have kids, if you have a husband. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think in that case, then what you probably want to do is like, you know, the old school, you know, the, the plastic coverings on the furniture that, you know, like your, you had in the furniture, had. right? That you yeah. could see through it. So you could still see the lovely flowered pattern, but you wouldn't right. harm the pattern. Yeah. Don't That's mess with the pattern mean. with your body. You, it'll go like yeah. crinkle, crinkle, crinkle and stick it's to your legs. It's fun because you summer. can slide yeah. across it. Like you can <laughs> push, like, like some Whoosh. sweats on and run and jump yeah. on the couch. Woo! <laughs> yeah. People didn't have those on the seats of their grandmother's house have no idea what they're missing out on. <laughs> yeah, you're missing out. You're really blowing it. Uh, all right. Anything else on the CX-90? No, I mean, I like the CX-90. It was fun to have it for a little bit more drive times. You know, you do these the, the first drives and you get a really good taste of it. And they gave us plenty of time behind the wheel. But it's always nice to sort of live with it, you know, drive it to the grocery store, drive it around town and just kind of experience it the way you would normally drive a car. I, I like the CX-90. I like the CX-90 enough that I might be able to overlook the infotainment controller that I hate were I <laughs> in the market for a three-row SUV. <laughs> Well, you know, it still has CarPlay, you know, so you can just it plug does. that in. Well, that's that why, because I could use the CarPlay in Android Auto and avoid that controller at all costs. So Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Mazda all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that happened this week. So you, you, you both, you're, you both, both remember Saab, right? Yes, I do remember Saab. Do you, do you remember what happened around 2009, 2010 with Saab? There's so many things that have happened with Saab. I don't know what yeah. happened. So, so, so GM, you know, fall after the uh, the financial meltdown in the fall of 2008, decided they needed to get rid of a bunch of brands because they had like eight brands at the time. They got rid of Pontiac and Hummer and uh, what else? Um, there was there was something else, uh, and and then there was also Saab. And they said, you know, they had bought Saab in the early 90s, um, and they said, okay, we're we're going to get rid of Saab. Um, and it, the initial plan was they were just going to shut it down. They weren't even going to offer it to anybody. But then um, somebody came along, like, uh, Spiker came along and offered to buy it. And so Spiker bought it and that didn't work out so well. They never managed to get any product out the door. Um, and eventually it ended up in the hands of uh, um, some Chinese owners who re renamed the company to NEVS, uh, New Electric Vehicle something, I think, NEVS. Uh, <laughs> And they set about trying to develop EVs based on the the existing. They started off with the Saab 9.3, and um, you know I think they might have built a few hundred of those that were sold in China, um, and then they developed a, a larger one, um, which was named the Emily, um, the Emily GT. Not sure why, but that's that's what they called it, and it it. it <laughs> It Wait, looks like, do you know what? I found out what NEVS actually stands for. What was it? I, Never eat vegetables. According to this, it stands for National Electric Vehicle uh, Sweden. Okay, that's it. Yeah, you're right. Now I just I had to Google. I'm like, yeah, so there we go. Yeah. Not that I was just like, huh, that's weird. Okay, continue. So, Sorry. So they developed this Emily <laughs> GT that when you look at it, it it has quite a bit of resemblance to the last Saab 9.5. It's yeah. not, a, not a bad thing. I mean, it's a, it's a decent looking car. Um, and at, at some point in the last couple of years, uh, Nevs got acquired by Evergrande, which is a huge Chinese uh, real estate development company um, that had also at one point over the last several years agreed to invest a couple of billion dollars in Faraday Future. Um, that whole plan never uh, really came to fruition. Yeah, we know um, how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but they ended up acquiring the the assets of Nevs and Evergrande, uh, which you know is they had they had their own issues in terms of money because they had a huge amount of debt. Um, but they they ended up with Nevs and they had agreed to um, fund the uh, the manufacturing of first couple of hundred of these uh, Emily GTs. Um, or oh, sorry, no, 20. They, they ordered 20 of them to be built uh, of the prototypes. Um, this thing had 653 horsepower, 500 or 620 mile range, sorry, 500 horsepower, 620 mile EV range uh, from 175 kilowatt hour battery. Um, and um, unfortunately for, for Nevs, um, Evergrande basically ran out of money and stopped funding uh, Nevs. And they only got six of these built. Um, but uh, there's at least one of them that's available for sale. Um, it's got wheel motors, hub, hub motors, if, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. What do, you, what do you guys think of it? I think it looks really cool. I, I, I'm sad that this isn't happening. I didn't know it was there. And I'm just sad that I know it was and isn't making it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it'd be, you know, be nice if somebody acquired the assets and maybe move forward with this project. Do you but, think anybody will though? Because I mean, does anybody is, does this bring anything to the table that other companies doing the EV thing don't already have? Yeah. Probably not. You know what I mean? Like if there was something like this has X, nobody has X. Well, let's buy it. The, the wheel motors it. are the, are probably the only thing that's really distinctive. The, you know, and, right. Yeah. And so you've got that on the like, Lordstown endurance. And so there's well, not a uh, huge Caribbean. reason. Yeah. So there's not a huge reason to buy this other than you guys, this looks really cool. Let's save this. And I don't know yeah. that that's a realistic business proposition. <laughs> I mean, it might be, maybe there's an executive that's like, yes, it is. But, but there's six yeah. prototypes at work that you could probably get your hands on one. Maybe. How much do you think it would cost? Uh, I don't know. Uh, probably way too much. And you'll More never get you any, and I have. you'll never get any spare parts for it. So nope. So if you break it, yeah. if it goes sideways, if your prototype that's not ready for prime time is really not ready for prime time, yeah. you're in trouble. Uh let's see. Yeah, no, no indication of how much they were yeah, looking for, for for these cars. Might be something that's interesting for a collector though. Oh, I bet a collector would buy it. That's yeah. how you're gonna see it. It's gonna show up in some collectors. Like garage wanna, or something. If you collect and... rare EVs, you know, here you go. Here's mm -hmm. the one for you. Yeah. All right. Um, let's stick with uh, with EVs. Uh, actually, we got a whole bunch of EV stuff today. Um, remember the uh, the Tesla Yoke? Yes. Yoke, huh? That seemed like a good idea at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that didn't <laughs> that, that that didn't work out so well. I mean, the the no. the, the hardcore Tesla fanboys loved it. Um. Oh, but, they loved it because someone told them to love it. Did yeah. you drive the yoke? Did you guys drive the yoke that the Lexus had? No, I haven't tried it yet. Ugh. Oh, you didn't like it? Mm -mm. It's for F one. Just leave it. Yeah. Did, you it did you drive? Did you drive it, Robbie? Did you? I forget. Why can't no, I remember I, the Lexus I that it was on? I can't. Yeah, no, I didn't drive it. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, you can make it work, but why? You I mean, at least in the case of in the case of Lexus, they had a steer by wire system. Yeah. So yes. you know, and it, it was, and by it was wire. optional. It's yeah. actually it's optional. Like it's and they're betting like a very small number of people will buy into doing the yoke. I think it's just kind of like, hey, we could do this. People may or may not like this. Let's do it. 
you know, um, and it was, it drove fine, but it was, there's definitely a learning curve to getting used. Like when, you know, you're used to, you put your hands, you, there's no wheel to slide around. You're like, wait, where do I hmm. lift my hand and put it back over here? It's a little weird. Not yeah, a well, super in fan the, of the yoke. You know, in the, in the case of the Tesla yoke, you know, they, they kept, they stuck with the mechanical steering. So, you know, you still have to, you know, turn it over a couple of times, you know, trying to go hand over hand with that mm-hmm. is, was not, not a good experience. I think. Can't shuffle um, steer a yoke. And, uh, and so they, um, you know, uh, few, about six, five or six months ago, I think Tesla started offering a proper round steering wheel as an option that you could replace your yoke, uh, for about 750 bucks. Um, and then they eventually made that standard on the model S and the model X. Um, and now the yoke is back, but if you want it, you have to pay an extra 250 bucks for it. So, so now, now available as an option instead of standard. Yeah. I wonder how many people will actually pick that as an option. What is the take rate, as the um, industry says? I mean, I'm someone's sure. going to buy it. There's yeah. Be. But I don't know, 10%? You think 10? What do you think, Sam? Um, I'm guessing probably more like 3 or 4, maybe 5%. I mean, they don't sell a lot of S's and X's yeah. anyway. So I figure the people who are buying them are going to be like super hardcore tesla fans it is gonna... a super hardcore fan who wants their tesla to look different than everybody else's tesla yeah yeah, yeah. like mine has to look specialer than yours i got the yoke they're like oh, i got the yoke right. you don't have the yoke oh i got the yoke all um, right back whatever. out of your parking space they're like oh crap <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah good luck you gotta put that little ball on there that spins like yeah the there you go <laughs> like, the, like the old uh, cab drivers used to have yes. yeah, <laughs> all right um, CarMax, a big uh, used car seller, um, you know, before before Carvana came along, um, they released uh, some data, uh, some interesting data recently. Um, among which, um, you know, they had some numbers on the uh, common trade-ins for EVs at their at their uh, stores. Um, so, what do you think was the top? the top brand traded in for an EV at CarMax okay. last year without looking. I haven't, I'm not looking. I was scrolling down. I, I, won't look. I see there's charts. No, I haven't seen it. I saw the charts and I didn't look at um, the top EV brand or the top, the like top, the top brand that people traded in to buy an EV from CarMax. Just regular old car brand. Uh, Toyota. Yes. <gasps> 12% right. of all the people that bought EVs from CarMax traded in a Toyota. Okay. Uh, Do you know why I thought that? Did they say why? I think Toyota, because Toyota has a huge number of hybrids. Yeah. So if you wanted to go in one one deeper, a little more, a little little more, a little something, something, you're going to trade in your vast number of ginormous number of Toyota hybrids out there for an EV. So the the second brand in the list is BMW, though, at eight percent, and Ford at also eight (laughs) percent. No, I mean your your theory well, makes I wonder sense. If, but if, <laughs> I mean there were, I, I mean when we talked a little bit about how the i four and you know there was a big gap between the i three and the i four and the mm-hmm. ix. I think I wonder if that's still that gap is still because CarMax mm-hmm. sells used cars. Wait, do they sell used cars? They sell everything, don't they? Yeah. No, they just sell used. You, uh, mostly used. Yeah. So they, uh, so there wouldn't be any there wouldn't be any um, there wouldn't be a lot of BMW EVs in the market. In the yeah. used market at this point. Yeah, there wouldn't be not yet. It's too. It's well, I mean, yeah, it's too early for there to be a heck of a lot of them. Yeah. As, as far as vehicle types, what do you think was the top type of vehicle traded in? SUVs. Yep. People. Forty yep. percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do uh, they leave with? 
Probably just another SUV. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> another SUV. An electric SUV. <laughs> or, or a Model a 3. Or a Model Y. Model 3, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then followed by sedans and coupes at 29% and luxury vehicles at 17%, which I thought was interesting. I would have expected that number to be higher. Although, not. I mean, you know, there's luxury SUVs, so I'm not quite sure how they split that up. Like, how oh, did they yeah. break it? Because there are, yeah, is it SUV yeah. just any SUV, including luxury SUVs? Yeah. 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 The luxury vehicle is a weird category. There's also luxury trucks. There's luxury sports cars and there's luxury sedans. What what just is a luxury vehicle? What gets pulled out all by itself? And then uh, top top states for EV sales. Any guesses? California. Yep. I mean, how could that not be the first one? Most people. We have the most EV infrastructure. We like cars. Yeah, the, the, the top, I mean, the top five were all you know the western part of the U.S. Uh, yeah. California, Washington, Nevada, Oregon, and Arizona, which makes perfect sense. I don't yep. think that's a surprise at all. Um, okay, so there was also um, a, uh, a study from um, let's see who who did this. This was done uh, by uh, Ipsos, uh, which is a, a polling firm. Uh, along with a, a consulting company called Barrels, which I've never heard of before, um, and they um, they they asked people about their interest in uh, EVs, and they they broke it out. They broke out the data um, between uh, those that are early adopters uh, of EVs, buyers considering an EV, and then car shoppers skeptical of EVs, and what was interesting is in the the skeptical group, um, the most the the highest percentage of uh, people in the skeptical group were females or were women. Sixty one percent of those skeptical about EVs were women. Wow. Why Why do you think that is, Nicole? Oh, <laughs> speaking on behalf of all lady. women, yeah. as, a, as, as a lady. As, well, I mean, we speak on behalf of and all also, men. So, wait a minute. So, I'm looking at this thing too, and it says car shoppers, shoppers, shoppers skeptical about EVs. Most of them, they have a mean age of 57, and they're 61 female. So, it's talking about older women. Yeah. Like because if the mean age is 57, right? So you're not getting like 23 year olds in here. Right. So, yeah. Because if you look at the, you know, those considering EVs. The average is 45 years old. 45. So that's a pretty big difference. And it also, yeah, and that's 47% uh, female. So it, so it is more older women. I, I would say part of that possibly could be just like, okay, let's, as you skew older on the scale, the older you get, the going wisdom is that gentlemen do not tend to live as long as women. So that's going to mean that older women are just, if older folks are more skeptical, it's going to skew towards women. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, All the so dudes are dead. <laughs> like, well, to a certain point, like how many women, well, right? Yeah, no, common, I mean, yeah, women, it's, it's women have a longer when you're, average lifespan. When you're looking just at longevity, yeah. right? Like in as a whole, women live a little bit longer than men. So that means if the older population is more skeptical, which I think they are, I think, the you know, then it's going to skew heavier that older women are going to make that be like, yeah, they're the most skeptical bunch of the lot, most of them, because there's more of them than older men. But I, I don't, want, I don't, <clears throat> but go ahead. I wonder if some of it has to do with like a gas car, you know, is, is a pretty reliable beast now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the last 20, 25 years, you know, manufacturing has gotten so well and EVs are new and they're exciting, but do, do you know, if you don't, 
unless you like really delve into it, you don't know that they're a bit more efficient. They're, you know, they're, they're, the reliability is, is, you know, you're not, you're not sure on their reliability. And, and if you're a, a lady and your husband, you know, maybe you don't want a yes. car that might break down in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that actually, be like, oh, it's an adventure. And that also actually <laughs> applies even just to women in general. If think about this, not trying to stereotype, but reality, right? A lot of women are home with their kids, right? Mm-hmm. Women are hauling their kids all around. The last thing I would have ever wanted when I had a car full of kids was to somehow have an issue with either not being able to charge if I took them out to that farm in the middle of nowhere or not being able to find a charger or having the charger charge really slow. And now I'm stuck in the car with my kids in the back corner of some dark parking lot in the middle of the night. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why I can see why as a whole women would be more skeptical about saying, yeah, sure. I'll buy into this EV thing. I'm young and I have kids. I don't want to get stuck with them. I'm older and I'm alone. I don't want to get stuck with what with by myself. You know, yeah. there's some solid reasons. Like we were just talking about you, Robbie, like you just pull over and take a nap wherever you want. Yeah, I can I'm just do whatever able, I want. Right. I'm you're going to, you're going to not, uh, women are going to pay a little bit more attention to that. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be stranded here. You know, Robbie can take on all comers. Little 80 year old lady can't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the, the other interesting tidbit here, or a couple, couple of other interesting bits of data here, among the early adopters, um, 64% live in major cities, um, and the minimum accepted range was 247 miles. For those considering an EV, 49% in cities, and minimum range, 244 miles. Uh, so both, both I think, pretty reasonable yeah. numbers. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it sort of know, lines up with what the yeah. market has as well. Right. Among those uh, skeptical about EVs, only 11% live in major cities, and 353 miles was the minimum range that they would accept. So it's uh, folks in the country who are like, yeah. there's nowhere to well, charge, and I have a long way to get anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Or they don't. Yeah. They just think they do. Yeah, they exactly. Think, yeah. Either it's one of those thing. things. <laughs> yeah. But if you're like in the middle of Idaho... <laughs> And it's like 40 40 miles of town and 40 miles back. So that's 80 miles and you get to charge overnight. And, you know, maybe town has a charging station. They have one like, you know, seven, seven kilowatt charging station. You know, you're thinking like, well, well, why would I do this? Why would I put myself? Why would I add that additional stress when I could just, you know, just buy, I don't know, a a Jeep or whatever. (laughs) I don't know people drive in Idaho. Trucks, trucks. trucks. I feel like I'm going to make all of Idaho drives trucks and also all that you can grow there are potatoes. Mm, Idaho potatoes. potatoes. That's it. I, I don't make any stereotypes whatsoever in my life. Idaho Except trucks, potatoes. potatoes. I mean, Idaho they kind of, I mean, they've kind of really, you know, that's their jam. They've gone hard on the whole the potato only, thing. Yeah. It's not like we're just making this up. Yeah. It's like they, <laughs> they do advertising and it works. I don't want people in Idaho emailing me. We make more than potatoes. I'm like, I yeah, love you, Idaho. I'm place. kidding. I'm just saying your thing is the potatoes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Idaho enough to say I love it. <laughs> I, I, spend I'm enough time. It's probably lovely folks sure in Idaho fine. and really good French fries. We give it hope so. I would yeah. hope. They have all the extra potatoes to practice. <laughs> right. Right. They have all the extras, right? Like, let's try just frying these with these substandard ones. We can't ship to the rest of the world. Practice oh. our French frying. <laughs> we can't ship these out. Uh, okay. Uh, let's move on uh, to another one from Tesla. They released their, um, their second uh, impact report, um, which is kind of, you know, goes into, a, there's a whole lot of stuff in here. We're not going to 
cover all of this. It's like, I don't, I don't know, a couple hundred, 224 pages. So we're not going to, I'm going to talk about that, but there's, <laughs> there are a couple, of, a couple of interesting data points in here. Uh, one, they, um, you know, in talking about um, their product impact, um, you know, talking about making EVs affordable, um, freedom to travel, at maximizing safety and building the grid of the future, making EVs affordable. Um, they talk about, they, they compare the total cost of ownership of a Model 3 standard range to a Toyota Corolla, a base Toyota Corolla. And I'm kind of surprised that they put this particular data point in here because for over five years and 60,000 miles, they, um, they claim uh, the Model 3 has a total cost of ownership of 49 cents a mile. The Corolla is only 46 cents a mile. So it's actually cheaper. Um, you use more, use, you know, you're going to spend more, a little more on gas, um, and, uh, slightly more on, uh, maintenance tires and repairs, although maybe a little dubious about that one, especially compared to a Toyota, uh, and then insurance, uh, the insurance cost for the, the Tesla is going to be significantly higher. higher. And then, and then the, the cost of the vehicle, obviously a lot higher. Way higher than a Corolla. But when you, why when you would add you everything pick up, the Corolla, they're not even in the same. They're, are they? Why are did cross they, shopping they, Corollas? And were they? Wait, but were they? I'm trying to figure that out too. Why would they pick Corolla? Were they trying to compare it to something that's like, like, is this the strategy here? Let's compare this to an affordable, everybody can get it, average car. Yeah. And what look the, at how what, close ours comes to that. Like, yeah, is that says, why the Corolla? Yeah, it says while you the know? sticker price of Model Three is similar to an equivalent BMW or Audi. The lifetime running costs of EVs are lower than those of ICE vehicles due to lower maintenance costs, cheaper electricity, and higher residual value of used Tesla vehicles. So, yeah, it's exactly that. They they wanted to compare it to something very mainstream that you know sells hundreds of thousands of units a year, um, you know, and show how close it is to something like the Corolla, you know, which is the the Corolla is the best selling nameplate of all time in the auto industry. They sold more Corollas. Is than, really? Yeah, they it surpassed the uh, the Model T back in the mid '80s, I think, mid or late '80s. Wow. Um, and it's you know it's continued to sell in, in ridiculously large numbers. So um, it's almost as cheap, they claim, as a as a Corolla. Yeah. All right. Over five years, sixty thousand yeah. miles. Finally got down to that page. Sixty three yeah. pages in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then the, uh, the other interesting thing here is supercharger uptime. You know, we've complained a lot about uh, reliability of DC fast chargers or public chargers. Tesla is claiming their uptime for superchargers is 99.95%, which is probably, you know what? I don't have, I don't have any data to dispute that, to be honest. I, know, yeah. I don't either. And you know what? Everything no I've one, ever heard no anybody one's who ever, owns yeah. a Tesla, everybody I know who owns one is like, I've had one in the five years I've owned one that didn't work. Or like they yeah. always, I like, I don't think, I think anecdotally, does do either of us or any of us have anything like, no, nah, that seems no. wrong. Even seems when I took a right. BMW to it, it worked fine. Right. Even when I plugged the BMW, like, it was like, yeah, this works. There you yeah, go. It's hard to argue with that one. <laughs> It's uh yeah no it's 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 uh I mean yeah they know what they're doing yeah no definitely on chargers and then the other one that actually I think is is actually a good sign for the industry as a whole for EVs is after two hundred thousand miles their average 
uh, capacity degradation on the batteries is only 12%. Uh, oh, that's which, which is pretty 200, consistent. 200,000 miles. That's a long way. Yeah. Little, how many people have, I mean, there's a few, but most people, you know, once you hit 120, people are like, eh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. not unusual to have cars with 200,000 miles on them. Um, but, you know, I think the, the concern is, um, you know, f- among a lot of people is that, you know, am I going to have to replace this battery after six or seven years, you know, um, and how much is that going to cost me? Well, the the reality is the battery is probably going to be useful for as long as the rest of the car is actually useful. And, you know, what's interesting is Tesla gives you the entire pack. They don't have like usable versus gross. They give you everything. Yeah. If it has a hundred kilowatts. You know, the default mode in there is that it limits it to 90% capacity. So you have to put it into long range mode to actually get, you know, they, the the range that they quote is based on 100% of the battery capacity, but um, the normal driving mode is only using 90% of the capacity. Even then, it's still more than yeah. the 80. Yeah. And they give you the option to just go all in. Yeah. Which people just do because they they do. And even, even 90%, and especially if you're supercharging a lot, I mean... 200,000 miles, 12%. That's, and you know, what's funny is that people don't think about the fact that their, their gas car, as it gets older, it gets, it, the engine gets less efficient. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, and you know, yeah, you, just a regular old ice engine, the longer you drive it, whatever you were getting for fuel economy when it's new, you're not going to get that in a year and you're going to get way less than that in five, six, seven, eight years. You know, 200,000 yep. miles later. I don't know what right, the Jaguar is giving me right now, but I think every time I get three. in it, it, it like as soon as I turn <laughs> it on, dropped it just goes, a little more. Yeah, it just goes, it just eats three gallons every time I just turn it on. Like you have turned it on, <laughs> boom. <laughs> All right. Um, another one here, um, the Hyundai Ionic 5, which I think we all agree we we really like, um, like driving that thing. Um, last year, um, Hyundai in Canada offered a version of the Ionic 5 called uh, a trim level that they called the Ionic 5 Essential which they never sold here in the US. Um, and the reason why they offered it um, was because the uh, the tax credit system, the tax incentives for buying an EV in Canada had this uh, little cork in there that they had a price cap of $45,000 Canadian. And a couple of years back, Tesla offered a version of the Model 3 that had the battery that they sold for $44,990. Um, and the what they did was they software limited the battery to a range of just 93 miles. And, I mean, who wants a Tesla with 93 miles of range? But what they did was after you bought the car and got your tax credit, then you could get and you could buy you could pay for an over-the-air software upgrade for several thousand dollars that unlocked the rest of the battery. So you had the full it, range. It was a trick. Um Hyundai took a little bit different approach to this. <laughs> it went too far. Instead, instead of software <laughs> limiting the battery. Um, they left, you know, they actually physically decontented the system. So Tesla didn't actually decontent the system. They just gave you, they limited your access to some stuff like the battery. Hyundai actually took stuff out of the car, like the whole DC fast charging circuit. So this guy, um, in this article bought, um, a Hyundai Ionic essential, um, and then, Took it to um, an EV fast charger uh, or to a DC fast charger and was trying to figure out how to plug it in. He couldn't plug it in. And 
so you know, he started posting some stuff online in a forum, you know, trying to figure out what or you know what what he had to do to to fast charge it. And it turns out there's no way to do it because Hyundai just didn't install those parts in the car, the the whole circuit, the DC fast charging circuit, and the CCS, the CCS charging connector, where the two big pins are for the DC charging below. There was just a, a solid piece of plastic there. There it's was like a there no there. Yeah, it's like a pehev. <laughs> yeah, so you just had all you had access to was the 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 standard J seventeen seventy two connector. So you could only do AC charging on this. Um, oh. They they apparently didn't sell very many of these. Um, I uh-huh, think it was uh-huh. like uh, oh 30? yeah they only they only sold thirty, 30 of them. Yeah, they only yeah. sold thirty, so they didn't sell very many. Yeah. So fortunately there's, you know, your, your risk of getting one of these is pretty small, but if you are in Canada um, and you're buying a, an Ionic five, Oh my gosh, that would be terrible. You know, make sure you check for that. Do not get the Ionic five essential. Whoa. Yeah. That would be, that would be somewhat disappointing if you managed to do, do that. Especially since, you know, especially because this car is capable of charging so quickly. You know, yeah, the, that's that's the one thing you don't want to leave off the car. Does it have the same yeah. range? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it just charges. can charge fast. Yeah, really I think it's slow. the the standard range version. You know, so it's like two hundred and forty miles or something like that. Wow. So it's the the smaller battery, I think. Um, I mean, if you could get one for like twenty thousand, I'd still I'd probably do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you like, get well. Can you fast charge it? No, but I can drive the hell out of it. <laughs> But I have That's to go three, home right by my house. 354 kilometers, so about 240 miles of range. Um, but you just can't, there's just no fast charging available. These guys charge at home every night. Yeah. Hella slow. So, all right. Um, wow. And then last one, uh, the end of the Chevy Bolt. I'm so confused. Why? So, okay, so here, here's what I think. I, 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 I talked a little bit to Sam. Hey, what happens is like they had the bolt. They are they were already planning on getting rid of it this year. It was sort of you know rumblings that it was going away, but then they had battery the battery issues, and they're and after the battery issues, I'm sure they're like, oh, we definitely have to get rid of it because no one's going to buy this car. No Everyone's one's afraid of it now. Yeah, it's it's going to catch on fire. No one's going to buy this car mm-hmm. anymore. That's the end of it. Let's just run it out and be done with it. Let's put some put some discounts on it, and maybe we'll we'll sell a few units. And then it turned out to sell really well. Like it was like, oh, you fixed the battery? Cool. Yeah. I would totally want one. And you're like, you know, what, you, what, what? You offer a 260 mile range EV for $26,000. Um, suddenly people actually want it. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah. woohoo. And so I think they, I think they, they, they're like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> we are, but we already have, you know, we've already set aside the production for all these other vehicles. And the fact that they kept like touting the Silverado, like, well, we're making the Silverado. I'm like, don't, don't, come on. Because the people who are buying a Bolt aren't buying a Silverado. They want an inexpensive, small EV to drive around saying, hey, we're getting rid of this, but we're going to build a giant truck with a huge battery that you can't mm-hmm. afford. Yeah, right. Well, this to, is the to, expensive thing. <laughs> to, to be fair, you know, they are launching the uh, Equinox EV. Um, this oh, yeah. Fall. They, it, but it's, you know, it's 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 a bit more expensive. Yeah. But also, I mean, they kept talking about, you know, that press release, Silverado, Silverado, Silverado. Yeah, well, because that's what they're going to build at that plant. Uh, you know, they're starting Silverado yeah. production in Detroit uh, sometime in the next couple of months. And and then um, they're going to add production at the Orion plant north of Detroit um, for Silverado and Sierra. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure that 
you know, while Chev, you know, GM likes, you know, the being able to sell a whole bunch of EVs, um, the the reality is they're probably losing several thousand dollars, many thousands of dollars on every one of these that they sell for twenty seven thousand dollars. Um, cause it, even when it was, you know, 34,000 or $37,000, they weren't making money on this thing. Of course, you know, they were only selling 25,000 a year and then they went and sold 20,000 in the first quarter this year, um, yeah. because so of the low sell. price. The economies of scale, Sam. Yeah. Because they'll sell a hundred thousand. If they keep up, they'll sell a hundred thousand this year. Yeah. On the last year of a car that came out forever ago, and they did zero mm-hmm. marketing on it. That's the other weird thing is that when the when the Bolt came out, they like had us drive it seventeen times. Mm-hmm. Like they made a big <laughs> deal about how they it came out before the Model Three, yeah. and the first ones were delivered in Fremont. You know where the yeah. Model Three is being built. <laughs> well, yeah, and then, I mean, the, and the, then the, it was the, just radio silence for years. <laughs> the, 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 the drive program, you know, that they did, you know, from we started we. Uh, took off from a hotel in Palo Alto that was like a mile from Tesla headquarters, you know, and drove, you know, drove out to Half Moon Bay and then up to San Francisco. Yeah. And it was a great car to drive in San Francisco because it's so small. It's it's a lot easier to maneuver around. Right. Right. So no, it's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, I wish they could, they could keep it going. Yeah. I wish they would keep it going. I wish they, or at least say, Hey, we have another car that's well mid twenties that's coming. That's on the uh, the Ultimium platform. Yeah, I mean the, the Equinox is supposed to start at thirty grand. That thirty thousand dollar version is probably not going to be out until sometime middle of next year. Yeah, I think they said fall twenty twenty four, which means it'll probably get yeah or spring twenty twenty four. Yeah, I don't little, know. They, so which means summer, which yeah. really means summer twenty twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's that. So if you if you want a cheap EV with lots of range, um. You know, go get your bolt now, because uh, it's a it's a good car. Yeah, around town you can throw like the bolt e, bolt EUV. Both of them are good little cars. Yeah, they are good little cars, and, but yeah, and get you can them get you can. you can get the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on them. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and then you know, in some states you can get another like in Colorado, I think you can get another twenty five hundred. So you can get you can get these things for under twenty thousand dollars net. There was there was every once for a while you could uh, there were uh, lease deals where you can get it for like ninety nine dollars a month. Yeah, just like ridiculous wow. lease deals. So I don't That's know if they're gonna cheap. because they're because they're you know they're selling so many of them now. I doubt that we're gonna get that lease deal because they don't have to do it. But man, I remember because it was a it was a Costco lease deal. I don't have a Costco car because it's just me and my wife, and we don't need you know a pound you know a pallet full of top ramen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh man, I'm like, it's, 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 it's I can't afford not to get a table <laughs> for a hundred dollars a month. Uh, all right, let's answer a couple of emails. Um, first up, John from West Virginia has came in via email at feedback at wheelbearings.media. So you can send stuff there, or you can also send it to in the Discord or in, uh, um, in the, um, uh, in Mastodon, uh, and maybe one of these days on Blue Sky. Um, anyway, John says, uh, thanks for your excellent discussions and insights every week. Uh, I have two questions about EV charging as I begin thinking about whether an EV is right for me at this time. Little background. I commute 200 miles round trip, hundred miles each way, two to three times per week for work. Um, that's very much an outlier there. Um, about 90% of which yeah. is highway driving through rolling Hills. I borrowed my partner's ID4 this past week to test its range on my commute and found that it uses about 50% battery to drive down to work 
uh, and 40% to return. Um, Volkswagen's recommended 80% max daily charge that only left me with 20% state of charge by the time I got to work, which is not quite enough to reach the closest fast charger on the way home, about 45 miles from work. Um, if I charge to 90%, though, it's adequate. Here are my two questions. Do all EVs recommend that a max, a typical max charge should stop at 80% except for occasional road long trips? If so, should I be calculating 80% of the advertised range of EVs as I consider my options? Related, I'm aware that Hyundai Motor Group's cars charge faster than other mass market EVs, uh, but I've also heard that charging stations don't reliably deliver those fast speeds. No. Where, where have you heard that from? <laughs> what's, what's your impression of how often EA stations deliver the actual fastest <laughs> charging speed? <laughs> and is it really worth considering Hyundai Kia's faster charge time as a plus over other manufacturers if your impression is that the speed is not reliably as fast as Hyundai Kia cars can handle? So first up, uh, mm. you know, the charging beyond 80% charge. Uh, I you know, we charge our, we, we, I just said, because we're slow charging it, you know, we charge it at night mm-hmm. at home. I, I, we charge it 90%. I'm saying whatever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, because I'm not, I'm not fast charging up to, to 90%. I'm, I'm slow charging. Well, and I think yeah. even so, like if you're, even if you're fast charging that 10 to 80% is the sweet spot. So that even if you're plugged in at a fast charger, when you hit 80, you can kind of watch wherever it was, no matter what the charge you were getting the speed. Yeah. It goes like, so it, it throttles itself back. So it's not like you're still fast charging from that 80 to hundred. So if you want to go a little higher, you can, and you're not like, you're technically not necessarily fast charging it anymore. Right. It's, and, and the, and the, you know, the, the reasoning behind the, you know, limit, you know, kind of tapering off after 80% or 85% is because you don't want to overcharge the battery. You know, when you're fast charging, you know, it's really easy to overshoot that hundred percent mark. And where you start to damage the battery is when you go past that hundred percent charge, that's where it starts to cause degradation to the battery. So that's why everybody basically caps it, you know, somewhere between 80 and 90% and then tapers off and and drops it off to a slow charge after that. So Mm -hmm. if you're charging at home, you can, you can safely charge to a hundred percent all the time. Right up. Yeah. You know, and, is you know as long as you you know you're using a good charger, you can charge it to 100, and you'll probably be fine. You probably won't have any issues. And then you know if you're char- if you're fast charging, then limit it to 80. Um, so that you know that would be my suggestion there. Um, and then you know is it worth going for a Hyundai Motor Group EV for the fast charging? Well, um, I think you know our or <laughs> impressions of like, electrify so, america so it's like a- 230 to 240 you know around there for for the charging rate for the hyundais and so what's the charge rate for the I, id4 like 70 80 uh no it's hand. it's 130 so 130 so even though i'm not, I, I think i've only gotten like to i've gotten like 236 like maybe twice with a hyundai with a hyundai motor group car i'm still hitting like 170 190 you know 200 um at ea stations with it so it's not i'm I'm not getting like the full speed but i'm going quicker than than you know than say what i would gotten at you know if i was lucky and i the id4 was able to to charge it at full speed it's such a weird thing because if i had an id4 and it's like what'd you say it was again one 130 130 i'd probably get like maybe 90 or 100 i don't know why that's the way <laughs> like we're only going to give you uh, uh like 80 percent of what your car can do <laughs> that's the 
<laughs> yeah. The the other thing to consider is, you know, you're probably going to have this car for a few years. And, you know, we're right at the beginning of the, the NEVI program, the, the charging infrastructure build out, you know, it's funded by the federal government. And so over the next several years, there's going to be a lot more fast chargers being installed. So by the time you replace this vehicle, um, then, you know, at some point in between now and then, there's probably going to be more than that one EA station, you know, 40, 45, 45 miles. miles from, from your work. Um, I still, even, even with it being like, if you're, if you're finding charging stations and I, you know, I'm a super big fan of EA um, and how their charging stations work, but even if they're not working well, sometimes they do. Even if you're not always finding a charging station that gives you that full charge, sometimes you will. Um, and if you're on a road trip, you never know. So I think having that, I would still look for one that has that capability, even if you're not using it all the time. I still think it's great. And like Sam said, it's increasing number of chargers. The technology is getting better. The charges themselves are getting more robust. All those reasons. It's not like you're selling this tomorrow. You're yeah. going to hold on this for a little bit. And the longer you have this, the better that network is going to get. So I would still be tempted to go for the Hyundai group because of how their vehicles charge. One, one other thing to consider, you know, if you is, you know, whether if there's an outlet, an electrical outlet, at your workplace where you might mm -hmm. be able to reach, you know, if you can, even if it's just a 120 volt outlet, you know, if you can plug in there, you know, yeah. when you get to work in the morning and, you know, charge for eight hours, so you get, you're going like, to put, you're going to put some miles back on there. Maybe right? like seven miles an hour added after eight hours. That's that 45 miles. Yeah. That's 45 miles. <laughs> yeah. You're good. So, uh, you know, that, that might be enough, you know, so, you know, talk to your boss, you know, see, you know, see we'll see if there's an outlet, that's near where you, where you can park. You don't and, get a hundred foot, like, 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 like cable, yeah. like the, don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, do not get a hundred foot extension cord. No. Uh, but if you can, <laughs> if you can reach it with the, you know, with the charging cable that comes with the car, uh, you know, or like with it, you know, 20 foot, you know, proper charging cord, um, then, you know, that's, that's another option for you. Yeah. All right. Um, you're using right now. I mean, you're, you're still an outlier. If you're, if you're driving your regular gas car, I mean, we, we just, just, I mean, we got a few years. It's not a, you don't yeah. have to rush. If you already have another car, um, but if you're like, you know, if you want to be a good person for the earth, then. <laughs> wow, look at him being, if you want to be a good person for the earth, not being judged at all. <laughs> I got two gas cars and a Vespa in my driveway. So, I'm, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next up from a uh, longtime listener, Bryn Barenshausen. Uh, says, hey, friends, been a little while since I rode in, but this weekend I finally got around to stopping into my local Hyundai dealership to test drive an Ionic 5. So I wanted, uh, I've wanted to for some time, but they never had inventory to do so. Overall, the Ionic 5 is a great car and would be a really attractive EV for a lot of people, but it is not going to get me to trade in my Model 3. They also had an Ionic 6 on the lot. It was, it was already sold, so I couldn't drive it or sit in it, but I was able to get a look inside and at the trunk space. Two things are keeping me from trading my Model 3 for either Ionic, storage space and technology. Despite the Ionic 5 being a hatchback, I felt like there was considerably less storage space than in my Model 3. I would argue with that point. I, I think that if you actually start packing stuff in there, you know, the Model 3's trunk opening is not that huge. Um, and the trunk is no, not. I'm Googling as, as you're reading yeah. to see what the cargo room is. Say what you will about Tesla, I sure have plenty of gripes, but they, they've they really nailed it with the functionality of the Model 3. The large frunk, 
uh, huge trunk and spacious uh, deep well in this trunk, meaning I can pack it full for road trips to visit family without having to lose the back seat. Uh, I know that wouldn't be the case with either Ionic. The Ionic 6 has an especially small trunk by comparison. It does have a point there. Furthermore, the tech seems good, but it's not Tesla good. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I think I know, think Hyundai... what, I, I think the tech that that really the, the the Tesla tech is that charging network and the fact yeah. that the Tesla like integrates so well in that network. Like I want to go from here to here, and it's like oh, very quickly and very easily, it tells you where you got to stop. Yeah. By the way, guys, he is right on that. I'm Googling and just getting some quick things pulling up, and it's saying the Ionic 6 is 11.2 cubic feet, and the Model yeah. 3 has 19.8. I think it was uh, the Ionic okay. 5. What about the 5, though? Yeah. The, I mean, the, the oh, six. Ionic 5. Was he doing that? Why did I thought it was yeah. Ionic 5? Well, he's I mean, talking about both. I mean, the, the, the 6 trunk is definitely small because you, you've got that shape, you know, that sloped rear back. Oh. So the, the Ionic 6 trunk is small, but the 5 does have quite a bit of cargo space. Um, let's, let's see. see. Uh, anyway, again, I'm no five, Tesla fan. It's 27.2. There okay, you go. So it's pretty close. And yeah. and I would argue that it's actually probably more usable space, um, mm -hmm. easier to use than than in the Model 3. But, you know, that's anyway. Just curious. Yeah. Um, I'm no Tesla fanboy, but Tesla and Rivian's tech first approach really speaks to me. And I felt it was just a little lacking in the Hyundai. Uh, still would recommend the Ionics to someone who hasn't been ruined by Tesla like I have or who wants a more conventional <laughs> car. I'm just hoping the refreshed Model 3 comes with a softer suspension for a smoother ride. If so, uh, they'd likely get a repeat customer out of me. Otherwise, my eyes are on the VW ID7. ID7. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. Mm. And the, the ID7 is quite a bit larger. And it is a hatchback, too, which also, again, makes that cargo area a lot more usable than the conventional trunk of either the, the Model 3 or the uh, uh, Ionic 6. I'm just happy he's looking at sedans. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Last one is from Kevin Gray. Um, hey, Wheelbearings crew, I'm looking for a new car, and the 2024 uh, Subaru Crosstrek piqued my interest. The only problem I've always heard, buying the first year of a car is a bad idea. Does this still hold true? Also, if it does for a uh, if it does this for a 2024 model, does that mean changes wouldn't be made until fall of 2024 or if the 2025 model? Uh, thanks oh, for your gosh. help. Kevin. I mean, that is the going wisdom, right? Like everyone will tell you, you shouldn't buy the first model year of any vehicle because they test them like crazy. But then once they get in the real world, they There's do always, always find weird things. And it'd be like, oh, they didn't test it. You guys, they put like so many miles on these. But when real people drive them, things are found. So real, real people break stuff. Real people break yeah. stuff in ways that even engineers don't generally. So, I mean, they try and test them, but I think, I don't know. I, uh, but I have bought the first model year of cars. So as I say that I did it, I did yeah, it. So, it's okay. so I mean, like, and I was like, you're crazy. I'm like, I did anyway. And I, <laughs> I lived, I survived. <laughs> and, you know, I think particularly in the case of something like the Crosstrek, you know, the, the, the new Crosstrek is not, something that is dramatically different from the previous, the current generation Crosstrek. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it still has the same engine. It has the same powertrain. It's mostly the same suspension. It's mostly the same technology. You know, it's in a lot of ways, it's more like a mid-cycle refresh. You know, yeah. It, if it not, was like the all new Subaru, come up with a new badge name and a new engine name, I might be a little bit like, Puma. it might be yeah. a little bit. I mean, yeah. If like you were, if this is if just you were thinking existing, of say, the Subaru Saltera, 
You know, I, I mean, would that's hold something, a little bit on that. Yeah, that's not that the wheels different. were falling off of that or anything. <clears throat> no, yeah, yeah, but I would wait. But yeah, for the cross track, uh, go for it. I think you're fine. Yeah, yeah. I would buy the cross track. I wouldn't have to buy it if that was the worry. Yeah. You got the big infotainment screen now. All right. Um, finally, um, before we say goodbye, uh, I have an interview that I did with uh, Lori Whitman from Cox Automotive. Uh, she is the president of retail solutions at Cox Automotive. We talked uh, at the New York Auto Show. Um, and uh, so as president of retail solutions, uh, she oversees the growth and strategic direction for the powerhouse brands, Auto Trader, Kelly Blue Book, Dealer Track, Dealer.com, Vin Solutions, and X-Time. So all the all the publications, she's she's responsible for all that stuff. Um, so Lori and I had a chat about uh, what's um, you know kind of what's going on in the the retail side of automotive because Cox does all kinds of stuff with dealers. You know they have a whole bunch of different businesses. So we talked about some of you know where things are going as far as inventories and a bunch of other things. Um, so it's about a fifteen minute conversation. Uh, and I will put that on here right after we say goodbye and see you next time. Bye. 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 So over the past couple of years, um, it's been really difficult for consumers to buy uh, both new and used vehicles due to the limited inventories. Um, and how and that's obviously led to a lot higher prices, uh, you know, both in terms of availability of vehicles being biased towards the high end. And, and then, of course, dealer markups, which everybody except dealers seems to hate. Um, so, you know, how um, is the situation getting any better this year? Well, what we're seeing is that as interest rates, you, you've seen the Fed slowly take interest rates up. Well, as that occurs, then they it does push some buyers out of market. So what we've seen is that there are some prices declining um, on used cars specifically relative to that. And I think, you know, I think there was another adjustment this week, maybe even, or maybe it was last. Yeah, yeah. But so I think as that continues to happen, I think we will see um, prices decline a bit because of that. Uh, but I think the other factor is that as I talk to dealers, one of the things I've heard is that new car inventory is starting to come back a bit, which should also help on the new car side. Okay. Um, you know, with with those um, inventory improvements, yeah. Are, are, is there a danger that we're getting to a point where, you know, obviously we've had, um, you know, demand far exceeding supply for the last two and a half, three years, um, you know, and I know I've sat in a couple of Cox briefings over the last year or so where they talked about even with some decline in demand, uh, you know, we're probably still going to be above where the supply levels are. So it's probably not going to be an issue. Are you seeing that change at all? Is there a risk that the demand is going to be the demand level is going to dip below the supply that's available? Well, there is a lot of pent-up demand there because of the, what's happened the last couple of years. But, um, you know, I, I do think the buying power of the average person because of interest rates, things that are going on with inflation, are going to push some people to keep their cars longer. So I think I think we'll see demand wane a little bit um, with that. Now, um as I said, I mean, there, there's a lot of pent-up demand, so it's it'll be interesting to see how both sides play out. Yeah, I think there's obviously been a lot of people who've kept cars longer than they might have otherwise in yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's not not enough there. Um, so, um, what 
Uh, some OEMs have been have indicated that they'd like to maintain lower inventory levels going forward. You know, they kind of like the way it's been. Yeah. Um, you know, not having as many vehicles sitting on dealer lots, less need for incentives. Yeah. Um, you know, do you think that that is something that's going to be able to be sustained? Well, it's interesting because there there were so many things that we don't want to relive every day after after we get through COVID. But that's actually one bright spot that we saw because. It, 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 it can positively impact almost everybody as part of a transaction. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, consumers do like being able to purchase exactly what they want, to be able to order um, the features they, they want, to pay for only what they, what they need or want. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's not always bad for dealers either because dealers find but there's um, greater customer satisfaction as a consumer gets exact. I mean, you don't have to go and pick from one of 50 different gray or silver cars on the lot. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, your satisfaction's a little higher. Um, and quite frankly, then they're not acquiring new physical space to hold their inventory. We also have that they're not paying as much on floor planning. So their profitability improves as well. So... I think there's a lot of goodness with the custom orders, and I think we're going to continue to see that continue in the future. I mean, not exclusively, obviously, but but I think there's going to be there's going to be more of that as we continue on. And I think the the biggest challenge, and I think um, uh, dealers are taking it on, is is trying to make sure that they keep the customer updated. I think a consumer that orders a car and it just waits and doesn't get updates and and maybe misses dates, I think I think that doesn't create a great experience. So I think the dealers that really want to embrace this approach on making sure they're transparent about everything that's going on along the process. What about um, approaches like what GM has talked about with having some regional distribution centers where rather than the dealers stocking the inventory, mm-hmm. the, the, the OEMs could stock that inventory and have a greater variety of vehicles. So what I like, dealers can order and get them within, you know, within a few days. Yeah, yeah. What I really like about that is that people are being creative about how to solve some of the supply and demand um, it imbalances. Um, I, I think it's it's potentially a really good thing for consumers because then if you if there is the model that's that is the gray one that you're talking about. Um, that that they're oh, the not gray decades, you know. <laughs> um, then you know it may just speed up delivery and make it easier on the consumer, um, make the time frame much smaller. Now, um, you know, I think I haven't spent a lot of time talking to dealers about how this affects their business model, but I mean, a satisfied customer is always a good thing, especially if you're trying to get repeat customers, you're trying to get people in for service. So I've got to imagine at some level it's good for dealers. So. Obviously, right now we're we're also going, you know, accelerating this change towards electrification, which has a big impact on dealers, yes. uh, you know, in terms of their their revenues after sales <laughs> for service. Um, you know, we've heard some some things. You know, some some dealers for some OEMs are maybe not crazy about some of the plans they've heard uh, in terms of how much they're going to have to invest. Um, you know, maybe some of the restrictions they're going to have in terms of pricing. What what are you hearing through Cox uh, from dealers? Yeah, in, in different levels of investment. I feel like every manufacturer has chosen almost a different path to take with their dealers. And I think the ones that are probably going to be the most successful are, are kind of heading down that path together and in, in having a dialogue. Because what, what I know for talking to dealers, and I talk to a lot of them, and they have a lot of customers across the country, is that they they see this as a great opportunity to be part of the conversation 
And what we know from our research is that consumers, it's a hard purchase in EB. It's, it's, um, it's, I could equate it to buying the Cardinal Lloyd online. It's you, you are, you have to, there's a, a lot of stuff you want to figure out. And it's just about range anxiety. There's just a lot of other questions that can. A lot of technology for them to work. A lot of technology. And, and, and there's also the concern of like, even if, um, you know, you have good range hair par, but you know. What, what are some of the features? And a dealer can do that. A dealer's always done that. A dealer has been a trusted um, advisor of a consumer and can help them think through the complicated process. So what I know is that dealers want to be part of it. Now, the cool thing about um, some of the approaches that are being taken is that um, it's going to unlock the connections with a younger customer base. And the EV customers are usually more, they're usually younger, they're usually more tech savvy. And so it's going to help dealers be able to successfully attract some different segments they might not have been able to get to easily. Yeah, with some of the, the newer players in the, the market, Rivian, Tesla, Lucid, VinFast, uh, they're not going the traditional franchise dealer route. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of consumers buying those vehicles say, yeah, we like not having to deal with a dealer. Not everybody is crazy about, you know, dealing with, working with traditional dealers. And, you know, what, you know, obviously, you know, dealers are trying to protect their, their turf, you know, by trying to enforce franchise laws. But what are you hearing from dealers about, you know, how they might evolve? Well, and I think we've seen some success with some of those new entrants in the space. Um, and I think that we've also learned a lot from some of the models they've used. And, and I think that's, that's goodness, right? Because I think we can all evolve as an industry. So, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of goodness that's come out of that. At the same time, I think uh, what we've, what dealers have um, appreciated, and I think even consumers have appreciated, is that it is, um, it's complicated. That and that car buying is, uh, is is not um, just about agreeing to a price and making sure that it's delivered. There are service implications. There's distribution. There's um, all types of things that have to happen. It's it's a it's a it's a more than just a one-time event, and I think that's where, as it, you know, what I've heard from dealers is many times a customer has more questions after they go home, having a yeah. What once you finally start to dive into it, yeah. then then the questions start to surface. I've heard a few dealers are doing this what the call second delivery, where they're going and having a conversation or the, the person's coming to the dealership. Either way, but they're actually able to get to like the next layer of questions because all of a sudden the person's been dragging cars, especially with an EV. And so you're going to get that with a franchise dealer. And, and you may not may or may not be able to get that with some of the new entrants. And so I think I think our franchise dealers um, that are our customers um, know how how many um, aspects of that process, whether it be service, whether it be distribution, whatever it is, understand how important it is and how complicated it is and that they have, they're have they very, very good at it. And so I think there's room for a, a lot of different people in this industry. And one, one last area I want to get into is the used car market, which yeah. is obviously a lot larger than the new car market. And those people really realize that. Yeah. There's a lot more used cars than new cars. And right now, the number of used EVs in the market is still fairly limited because most of the EVs that have been built been built in the last you know, three or four years. So a lot of them are still with their original owners. But as these vehicles get into the used car market, more 
more people that are that buy used cars are now going to be considering EVs. Um, you know, what are some of the things that dealers can do? You know, they're selling used EVs can do to help um, instill some confidence, do the education, but also confidence, for example, in the quality, you know, in the state of the battery. Um, you know, when you buy a used EV. Yeah, it's it's funny you asked about that because that's work that we're doing right now. Um, uh, trying to make sure that we are helping. One of the positions that we play in the industry is helping both dealers and consumers, and for that matter, lenders and manufacturers as well, understand the value of vehicles with, with our Kelly Blue Book product, right? And so what we realize is that we probably have a role to play in making sure that we're doing the same thing for battery health. And so we're investing time and energy on working through that so that we can be prepared to help dealers um, answer those tough questions and, um, and appropriately value vehicles going forward. One, uh, one last uh, thing um, around uh, those batteries. You know, one of the companies, part of Cox, is Spears New Energy Technologies, yeah. which, uh, among other things, they, they do battery recycling, uh, which is going to be increasingly important in, in the coming years. Um, but there's still the challenge around the, the business model or the operational model of how batteries go from new vehicle to perhaps second life applications to recyclers. You know, where where is the who gets paid at what stage of that? Is that something that you know Cox is starting to look at? Uh, you know, as to how to do that. You know, to to capture the value in that battery at its various stages of life and ensure that at the end of life it gets to a recycler for um, proper repurposing. Yeah. So I, I, um, I should be honest with you, I, I don't work okay. in the Spears new technology space. We, we purchased that business because um, we believe in EVs um, and, and just like everyone else um, are embracing it for the future. Um, and we're investing in that space. Um, it's very nascent for us. Um, and so I, for everybody else. Yeah. Not, yeah. So I think it probably makes sense to get some folks from the team involved. Oh. I, that's not an area that I manage. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much, Lori. Yeah. Pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.